Hello and welcome to another Sagebrush Wisdom podcast. Before we get started on today's podcast, I just want to give you guys an update. We have officially landed on a date for the Golden Duck shooting competition. It will be November 6th at Rahagi's shooting range here in uh, kind of the Orange County, Riverside County area. So if you have any interest in shooting shotguns, you're a duck hunter, quail hunter, or just want to go out and come to the event, you're more than welcome. So go to my Instagram, sagebrush underscore wisdom to find more details on that. Well, that's about all I have for you. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sagebrush Wisdom. This is your host, Dave Ali, and I'm here with our guest today, your normal host, Matthew Rose. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> uh, we are turning the tables today to interview Matt about a recent accomplishment of his that we were especially excited to talk about. So I asked, Ma- I asked Matt if I could uh, turn the tables on him and interview him about uh, something cool that happened recently. So, so here, here we, we are. are. Here we are. <laughs> Uh, okay. Mr. Matthew Rose. Yep. Uh, walk us through your journey as a fly fisherman up to this point and why catching your first pelagic fish on a fly is such a big deal. Yep. Yeah. So, um, it, it was about seven years ago that I moved down here to Southern California, but fly fishing to me had always been that final culmination of who I wanted to be when I was living in the Seattle area and then Sacramento for a short time. Fly fishing just felt like this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. And then when I live, when I moved down here is it, was actually when fly fishing became even more important to me and I would go to mammoth and got a lot better at Euro nymphing and different styles of that type of fishing, um, for trout, but still like the ocean was here. It's like, I'm here. The ocean is here. The fish are here, you know, if you really think about it. And so after a while, this kind of growing of, growing desire of just wanting to fish more moved from tying flies for trout and things like that to now tying bait fish streamer patterns and all sorts of stuff and being like, I could just fish here. Like I think a big part of fishing in general is being able to leave your backyard and go fish. That's what most people value about that sport is it's always accessible. And then we're, here in Southern California thinking that the closest fish is six hours away. I, I felt like I noticed that, that, that there's like a basic flaw in that. And so totally. after a while, I like wanted to get into fishing almost like an unknown, um, fishery in a way, like there's not really anybody, not that many people fishing on a fly rod in Southern California. So how far away 
if you had stayed in the kind of Sacramento area, how far would you have had to travel to get to good fly fishing? 20 minutes. Right. So here's the juxtaposition. You move from a place where fly fishing is readily available out your mm-hmm. back door to a place where conventional wisdom would say that it's several hours away. Yeah. Whilst falling in love with fly fishing <laughs> in a new and deep way that includes a deep dive of personal education, tying your own flies. And so you're caught in this like tension of loving fly fishing while living at the beach. Man, I went to so many like rumored places that had trout and just found like, Oh, like the river dried up here last year. (laughs) Like going up to big bear and just like desperately trying to find some trout somewhere and then just realizing it was totally futile i've fished the kern river a lot and it's just not the fishery that you want it to be so after a while i felt like there's a huge problem where i couldn't be driving six hours one direction every weekend to go fly fishing but just like surfing kind of takes over and you like want to do it more and more and more. It's like fly fishing was that for me as well, where once it started clicking, I just wanted to do it more and more. I think, I think in general, like the hardest part of being in Southern California is like, there's not that much land really you know like there's not that many wild places and i've said this before on the podcast but like the ocean is our closest wild place that we have so Um, that's exactly it is like part of the beauty of being an outdoors person in orange county is you have to be able to and willing to look for kind of those unexpected pockets of opportunity mm -hmm. because it's not Mm -hmm this obvious slap you in the face opportunity that's just waiting right outside your back door. Yeah. So that means you're going to have to be clever, creative, you know, a little unconventional Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or willing to like travel long distances and traveling long distances is not always the most practical thing. Yeah. So you turn around instead of looking Northeast, you Mm -hmm. turn around and you look West and go, huh? Yep. Yeah. Okay. There is an <laughs> there is endless wildness and untamedness in space waiting just off the coast. Yeah. Again, a little unconventional and not what most people immediately think of when they think of fly fishing. Yeah. Who were some of the uh, voices or influences who kind of like encouraged you that saltwater fly fishing was possible, feasible, and yeah. Who were some of those influences yeah. on you? So I would say, what was it now? Three years ago? No, probably four years ago. Our friend Stephen Miller, <laughs> who now lives in Idaho, and you've gotten to be friends with up there, which blows my mind. He and I were talking a lot, and he would take me spearfishing and kind of got me introduced to that. But then he was like, have you ever fly fished for Corbina or this or that or like whatever? And I was like, no, I haven't. And he was like, kind of showed me a little bit enough to get started. And I went to like his and hers fly shop, which is a fly, a fly shop here in Newport. 
um, and kind of like started to get the rundown. And sadly, I wasn't, I didn't quite know yet what ocean fishing was. You know, it's still a different language for somebody who just wants to catch trout. And so I spent like a whole summer like learning how to cast with a fly rod with like heavy line and a heavy hook and because like the bait patterns normally have lead weights on them and the fly line itself is really heavy because it's supposed to sink it's a lot different than fly fishing for a trout with maybe like yeah your own infinity you're like flicking the rod up and that's about it and then dry flying is all about soft presentations saltwater was like completely different and I thankfully had a house that was on the canal so I just would go out there every night and fish or cast more or less and I finally caught a yellowfin croaker after like I don't know how many hours it felt like they say like steelhead are like uh 10,000 cast for a steelhead and I felt like that yellowfin croaker was like a 10,000 cast but the the I guess the funniest part of that story is that there's a bunch of mullet that were in the canal and you could see them all the time. And they're big fish. They're like maybe like 25 inches at times, like swimming right below you. They're actually vegetarian fish. So like no lure that you ever throw at them and like jiggle in front of their face or anything like they're going to eat. And so it's. That kept me going because I could see fish and fish were jumping because like the mullet jump a lot. I had no idea that they are vegetarian. So it was like this weird. Turns out that detail matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that was, that was the first saltwater fish that I caught. But and not it, the one that we were here to talk about. Today. Exactly. Yeah. But it pulled so hard for not being like that much bigger than a trout. Yeah. It, you you feel the difference of like salt water to freshwater fish. Yeah. Which was really fun. So that was four years ago. Four years ago. You get your first saltwater fish on a fly. Yep. But still not the elusive goal you were after. Mm -hmm. Yep. So fast forward us to the summer of 2022, which is affectionately being known as the summer of the Dorado. Dorado. (laughs) Who knew? Like, yeah, no one's, that's the beauty of uh, these seasonal cycles is you don't really know what each yeah. year brings. And this year brought a lot of Dorado to our local waters. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just back up really fast. Um, my brother, my twin brother bought a boat in 2020. Last year, I started messing around and caught a couple calico on the fly, which was really cool. And then, but what I was learning is like, a pelagic fish like a yellowtail was going to be really hard. And especially a tuna would be even harder because they dive down when they are caught and hooked. Like they want to fight from the bottom and they'll circle up as you like start pulling. But I was kind of nervous because fly rods are more or less like they're traditionally used to fight a fish that is running out. They're running out from the boat, not down, you know? And so yeah. finding that like pelagic fish, that would be ideal. 
it started turning more and more towards Dorado because yeah. like there's they're like a sporty fish. But last year we we only had three days where the Dorado were even here. Yeah, yeah. And that that was it. And so finding the Dorado, I guess entering this year, I thought finding the Dorado w- was going to be like the hardest part of the experience. So Dorado, you had already kind of set your sights on that fish because of mm-hmm. the way that they operate more at the surface. Yeah. And- they're like a topwater fish. They're sporty. They still pull really hard, but they also jump a ton. It's yep. a very interesting fish because like if you're looking at like a rainbow trout to like this or that or whatever, a Dorado is actually kind of similar. Like it does pull very, very hard, but it's very, very arrow or what's acrobatic. It's very acrobatic in the way that it fights. And so there's also like a nervousness of like, if you hook one, like it's going to be jumping up and all around and all sorts of stuff. And then you're like, Oh, like I actually have to fight this. Well, not just like pull on it. Yeah. And a lot of times like a tuna, as long as you have like a good hook and you tied your knots, right. That bite is what matters, but not like the fight itself. The fight is just grueling. A matter of willpower. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, this year started, let's see, this year started with a lot of tuna fishing, just conventional, um, conventional rod and reel trolling became very popular for these tuna. I wasn't even really thinking about Dorado or like really fly fishing in general. Not that I had like lost the urge for it, but like nobody wanted to catch a three pound bonito when they could go out and catch a 120 pound bluefin tuna you know zach wasn't gonna waste the gas on yeah that. no way <laughs> no island fish like literally no one even island fished through july it was like i guess you could maybe consider it because the bluefin were mostly like down off of the east end of catalina but nobody was really like targeting the island itself everybody was going after tuna and so i just i kind of forgot about it like all i wanted to do was fish conventional reels and hook a tuna like that was that became like the bigger goal of this year (laughs) and uh my friend hannah asked me or i guess she called me in um may or something before the tuna really showed up and i like she wanted to go on a trip out of San Diego. And I was like, okay, well, last year, August 15th or whatever, I think it, I could be wrong, but I think it was like August 17th was when the Dorado came up for three days and then that was it. Cause I kind of told her too, I was like, hey, like, you wanna be catching Dorado, not Yellowtail. She was thinking fly fishing also. She wanted to catch anything saltwater on a fly rod yeah and so i was kind of like this is when you should be going this is what you should be looking for whatever and then so she booked a charter and she happened to book a boat that had four four spots and so she was like do you want to come and i was like okay like i'll come i guess like it was just i wasn't expecting when i was giving her this information that i was going to go on this trip with her but we went out of San Diego. I think it was 
August 14th. So it was like right in that timeline, right? And um, we went with this guy, San Diego fishing, um, fishing charters, and he used to be San Diego fly fishing charters. Like he used to only do fly fly fishing, but as the fisheries gotten better and better, especially with bluefin, um, he does a lot of standard fishing trips with conventional stuff. And I mean, why wouldn't you? If you had a captain's license and you could take people on your boat, like people are flying all around the world or from like anywhere in America to come catch bluefin. So you might as well offer that and be like, not everybody can fly fish. So it makes a lot of sense. And so we went out there and he was like, what do you want to fish for? And it was um, one of those days where it was like the bluefin had been around. There was rumors of Dorado, but not like what it became either, but just rumors of Dorado. And we, we left the Harbor and it was like, game on bluefin like everywhere just foamers here foamers there and it was mixed it was yellowfin and bluefin so we didn't really see dorado until like the very end of the day and uh we got we we had been doing a bunch of like bait fishing that day so we kind of had one fly fly rod in the reel or one fly rod in the water but because of the temperature and the bite and whatever, like the Dorado weren't like fired up yet. You could tell like they are, they bit our anchovies or sardines, but they weren't like biting yet. And I was like, if you're going to catch a Dorado, you want it to be like the Dorado are hungry and they weren't, they weren't hungry that day. So what was nice is like, I guess we talked a lot about like how to catch a Dorado, but even though we didn't catch them that day, like I felt like it was a good introduction to be like, if you're going to catch them on the fly and we obviously tried that day, but just nothing was happening. Um, I felt like more prepared to be like, okay, like this is how, this is how you do it. Which I think a week later proved to be, you know, really helpful. Yes. (laughs) So what happened a week later? So um, my friends and I, we booked a trip for um, late August to go on Christian Sikas' boat. Um, and Christian Sikas is, in my opinion, one of the best like bluefin tuna Dana Point charters. Harbor. Yeah, out of Dana Point. Um, he's a great guy. Knows the industry really well, but just, like, knows how to be, like, a good captain. Um, and thankfully, he grew up in Costa Mesa, and he's he was friends with one of our friends. So it felt a lot more like a friend's trip than even, like, a classic charter trip, right? It was four of us, me, Zach, McKenna, and um, my friend Skylar, who Skylar's like really good friends with Christian. And so he's like the day before, like, what do you want to do? Like the Dorado are starting to actually show up like what they've been rumored, like one patty and like a two mile circuit, like two mile circumference of Dorado swimming on that patty. One patty, like the size of 
a bed, you know, or something. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're seeing signs of Dorado. Like we've really never seen before. And maybe a week before that they were showing up, but they weren't biting yet. It's like, people would be like, Oh my God. Like, are those Dorado? And then it wasn't, but it wasn't like for whatever reason they weren't biting. And then that day we got out there and it was, I don't know, 7.30 in the morning, and there's 12 boats on one paddy, but yeah. you started looking at each boat, and every boat was hooked up. It was like nobody even was complaining or like, get off my spot, like whatever, because it's like so fast and furious fishing that like nobody was even like even thinking about it. <laughs> so the other three guys you're with that day, what is their goal for the day? compared to yours yeah so uh, that's a good question so primarily we went into the day just fishing bait like just fly lining bait on conventional reels and uh we were having so much fun like i mean of course you're gonna have fun on a day where you're you can't stop catching fish right um but after a while like in california you can catch 10 dorado per person per day so uh, my at some point, I think I had caught five Dorado for myself and knew that they are on the boat. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to film for a little bit because this is just ridiculous, which is funny. Like, cause I made that little video and like, it's so fun, but it's like, that was just like one portion of the day. Like that right. wasn't even like the main, like goodness of the day. That was like after more or less like things had slowed down so i started filming and that was really fun but then i was like even after like filming i was like okay i have my flyer on like let's just see the big problem with christian's boat is it's not made for fly fishing at all so casting a fly rod ended up being like pretty hard but then i started realizing that like catching a dorado on a lure is really hard, but catching it on a fly is even harder. So one thing that I learned um, in my two experiences of fishing for Dorado, which I know are not a lot, but in my two experience, in my two experiences of fishing for Dorado, they really like something going fast. Like the reason why um, sardines and anchovies but mostly sardines work really well is because the sardine hits the water and it's like swimming and like whatever as soon as it's being chased it speeds up so fast and that triggers the dorado to bite it but the big problem with the lure is like you can burn back a lure but you can't have that like quick acceleration and then like stop super easily you know i mean you can like jerk it but when like the fish is right there it's hard to get the right type of run for the fish to be triggered and so with a fly line it's even harder because like i would have to like time when it would sink see a fish target it and start like ripping line like just stripping like so fast but obviously like when you're stripping line like one hand is on the rod and one hand can only move three feet or whatever. So like, how do you move your fly line fast enough to get that fish triggered 
because you probably would need it to run for 20 feet right more than three feet to get triggered into that instinctual bite and so i tried like and the fish were pretty fired up and that was like one of those interesting things like in ideal situation of like fish being like super super fired up it was still hard and still proving to be like difficult to catch still it. not a no-brainer to exactly it. Right. and i mean obviously there's probably times where like we were dangling like a sardine up on the water and like a dorado comes up and hits it and that was really cool but i i also didn't want it to be like that i wanted it to at least be like feeling like some type of fishing and so a fly line or like a fly the eye tide being dangled across the top of the water just didn't seem like that doesn't seem like fishing in a way and so we tried and i stripped a lot and i was like just not getting any bites but then christian was like okay like let's try to move back into where like the fish have been really biting and so I was just, I asked him if I could just slow troll the fly line behind me um, because I know that that's also a technique. Whether you're slow trolling a live sardine or a lure, those are really effective ways to get Dorado to bite. Even even if, like, let's say you're there and the fish just aren't biting, like, try slow trolling and that might totally be different because everybody wants to, like, drop their fl- dro- drop their sardine in and fly line it and catch a fish but oftentimes like dorado are just really lockjaw and like whatever you can't figure out that trigger yeah and so i learned from conventional fishing that slow trolling is a very effective way for dorado to bite and so i was just like hey can i like troll my fly or like sardine pattern or whatever behind the boat while we move and it turned out to be something that you know we're going along and i'm just like sitting there holding my fly rod and then i think we probably were like 100 yards away from the patty like we pulled back up to where we we started from um the beginning of the day and we saw a couple Dorado just like free jump out of the water and Christian was like, get ready or something. I think he said like, here they come or like, I don't know, something like that. And then all of a sudden, like, I just feel like the tick on my fly rod and this Dorado instantly is like jumping out of the water and I'm like, oh, it's on, it's on, you know, and everybody on the boat is just like screaming at that point because like, it's still hard. Like it's, I think... I think we found out that it's like not going to be easy catching it on a lure or on on a fly line that or on like a a fly pattern that day. And so um just having that basic success like nobody knew like I had an 8 weight nobody knew like if it would be strong enough like right. nobody knew if like it was going to hold like it was a pretty decent sized fish. Like you could tell it was probably above 10 pounds. It's like, did I need like a 12 weight for this? Like, did I need at this point where I had been trolling, like my fly line was all the way out and it was basically at my backing before like it even hooked. So like when I hooked it and it starts running, like I'm like not deep into my backing. Cause it's still like, 
I think 200 yards more of backing, but I did make this like fatal error, which now like I'm thinking about, or I thought about before I went on the trip, but I was nervous about is like my backing was only 20 pound braid, which on Orvis, when you buy like the fly reel and the line and like all that stuff or wherever you're buying it from, I think that they only had 20 or 30 pound braid as your, as your like backing. So like on, on a fly rod, you have your basic leader. Then you have the fly line that's weighted that you can cast. And that's about 90 feet. And then from there you have all of your backing, which in a way is just braid. But what I found out later is like most people when they go and fish, you know, for tuna or Dorado or whatever, they put like 50 pound braid on their reel, which at like catch them tackle or like any tackle shop is like, yeah, no problem. Like, can I get backing on this? Like, and they'll just wind it on and you're good to go. But at the time when I bought the fly rod and reel intending to fish for, um, ocean fish, I was like, 20 pounds should be hard enough. Like, a calico is only, like, three yeah, pounds. Like, that should be fine. Croakers and calicos. <laughs> yeah. But finding out that you you can and maybe should have, like, a bit a little bit heftier, like, backing line is probably important. And so um, I would say in hindsight, I if I did this a lot more, I'd probably put on, like, 50-pound braid you know just like your your basic um not like anything super super expensive but just like your basic like 50 pound braid that you get at a tackles shop for ocean stuff versus like a fly fishing shop right right um because they would be like why would you need that but i mean what's crazy is like a dorado like everybody is all in fly fishing like super like, they love going to Pyramid Lake and catching these, like, 20-pound cutthroat that live there. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, super cool. But, like, pelagic fish. And I haven't caught those, like, big cutthroat in Pyramid Lake. Um, that's, like, up in Nevada. And uh, it's actually on, like, Indian reservation land. And every winter it has, like, an opening day. And, like, people go out and, like, they'll fish for these, like, monsters, you know? But still, like, a pelagic fish, I I would argue, is still stronger than, oh, like, yeah. a freshwater fish, oh, you know? Yeah. And so I've heard, like, I've heard people explain that, like, catching these cutthroat at Pyramid Lake is kind of like catching a bluefin. Like, it just tests all your Until gear. you have a bluefin on your line. And then Until like, you have oh, a pelagic right. fish. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait a second. Like, I think that... If you caught a, a 15 pound cutthroat at Pyramid Lake versus you catching a 15 pound yellowtail. Oh, I was even going to go less. I was going to say yeah. if you had a 20 pound cutthroat versus a 10 pound pelagic fish, like a 10 pound Dorado or something like you could, I don't know. I, it yeah. seems like the ocean fish are just so much stronger and it's just a different, it's like going from JV to varsity, not that's I'm not trying to qualify qualify it one way or the other. It's just it's a different speed and a different strength. Yeah, I and I, like I said, I haven't caught one of those big fish, so I don't 
really know. I can Neither I can I. imagine it assuming. feeling like a tank on your line, like yeah. just like pulling just really heavy. steady. Yeah. But I feel like how fast Dorado are, like so as I was saying, like they're very sporty. And right. so right when I hook it, it jumps. And it's so you kind of left us with a little cliffhanger. Yeah. You slow troll, you get one on, and then you started <laughs> warning us about <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I did, I just was thinking like if anybody else wants to try, yeah. like be prepared ahead of time to get like the proper equipment or whatever. Like and yeah. I think that most people listening who do want to try are wondering those things that it's like, what should I do if I'm gonna do this? So I had 30 pound um top shot fluorocarbon leader on so about like six feet from the fly line and i tied uh i believe it was what we would call an rp knot in conventional fishing which stands for the royal polaris knot but in fly fishing it would kind of be considered the albright knot so that part of my line felt really good and as the fish was fighting, like the next worry was like how strong an eight weight would be against a Dorado. Because like, that's like, you could catch a bass, like a freshwater bass on an eight weight and be like, oh my gosh, like I'm kind of maxed out, but they're really heavy too, um, in a different way than like a trout is. So I was just like, we'll find out. And I probably played the drag like a little bit light at first because I just didn't want to put that much pressure on my pull, but it jumped probably like six more times before it got to the boat. I think it even jumped like maybe 10 feet away from the boat. Like just all of a sudden it gets like all this energy and just like shoots off into the air and you're like, oh my gosh. So what was your confidence level that you were going to land this fish? It In the first minute, I didn't think we were going to land it because yeah. I was just like so far back in the backing um, that I was like, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But then um, it actually, what's weird is like, you can't feel a drag in order to like on a conventional reel, if a fish pulls and you're reeling, it just pulls that line and you can't re- like, even if you kept reeling, like it doesn't, it like cancels one out and then pulls line. Yeah. But on fly fishing, what I got really nervous about is like, you can't feel really when it's going to pull. And so if you're reeling, what happens is what you're supposed to do is just let go of the reel and let the reel fight the drag without you holding it, which is very different than Interesting. a conventional reel. So my biggest worry was like, if it runs, and especially like I can't see it, it's too far away, like whatever. Like that's when all your knots are gonna fail because yeah. you put so much tension onto the line. Yeah. And then you finally feel it and you can let it go. But when you do that, like kind of like whipped my hands, like the little knob of the fly reel, like spinning so fast oh, yeah. out that it's like kind of hurting. Yeah. Like it yeah. hits your knuckles and stuff. So like uh that that was like its own learning curve you know and you'd like reel in because like pelagic fish are also going to run out and then run back at you so you're like taking a line really fast and then it would get like energy and pull back and you like are kind of like oh it's pulling and then like you have to let go really fast so 
thankfully like everything worked out and like when we got the fish on on the boat on the boat like it just it felt so good like it I wouldn't even say that I want to be like a like saltwater fly angler anymore in a way that I just want to catch more and more saltwater fish um and I've grown a lot of respect in the whole like community whether it is like the people going out on party boats and fly lining all day long or it's surface irons or this or that like it's all super cool but catching a dorado on a fly even in this whole big mass of like people spearfishing for them and people catching them here and there and everywhere like it felt like a huge accomplishment to catch one on the fly and i don't i still don't think that there's that many people that did this year yeah and that's that's the reason we're having this conversation right and that's the reason i got so excited about chatting with you about it is this is the fulfillment of a goal that is many years in the making and those intervening years are made up of little successes, little frustrations, little lessons learned, little Mm -hmm. tidbits of information picked up here and there. And like you start putting all this together and all of a sudden, like years down the road here, you've got this, you know, Dorado. Yeah. Hooked up and you're like figuring out in that moment. Oh, like reeling this thing in is just different than what I've done before. Yeah. And then it finally concludes with landing that fish on the boat. And like, you did it, right? Like you did the thing that you set out Mm -hmm. to do, even though it took years. And like you said, that doesn't mean that you necessarily need to be a dedicated saltwater fly fisherman from now on. Mm -hmm. But there's a delayed gratification in having a goal and then trying and failing and stumbling for years to the point of like, finally seeing the fulfillment of that goal yeah yeah it's it's super interesting because i mean i don't even know like how many people fly i know i know people fly fish for them down in mexico like down um off the border i think that there's like a guy or guide service called like baja fishing or baja fly fishing or something and they do like some dorado some rooster fish type stuff which is super cool but like it's just an unknown thing when like everybody else is like pursuing bonefish and tarpon and everything else like kind of on the east coast like gulf and bahamas and things like that the the west coast fishery is just like still unknown to fly fishing and there have been people that have caught them like caught bluefin on flies have caught yellow yellow fin you know on flies and it's i gained a huge respect for it because i realized like how much time you actually have to put in you know um for these things and i think that's why i'm like uh that's too much work you know is why i've stepped back from it because i'm like I don't want to fish all day long and like strip and strip and strip. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> the question that was that came in my head as you were telling the story is like, while you're stripping line, trying to like get, 
the attention of a Dorado and get the get your uh, fly pattern to move fast enough through the water. What are the other three guys doing? Are they still catching fish this whole oh, time? Yeah, at at this point, I mean, we there's a couple of us that were like fooling around, you yeah. know, and McKenna actually caught a Dorado on this lure called an IMS lure, which is like a handmade, like wooden carved mackerel pattern from uh, I think Croatia or something. Like super cool. But like even him fishing with that made it so visible of how hard this was going to be because he was having a hard time catching a Dorado on something that looks so realistic. It's unbelievable. I was picturing the other three guys are just stacking fish up and you're over on the other (laughs) side of the boat. Just like Zach Zach, determined. (laughs) Zach was like more serious. I think he was like, I want to put fish on the boat. And like, he was just loving the fact that like catching fish and just feeling that like, line pull, start pulling you set the hook and you're like good yeah he loved it and then my friend skylar was using like the lightest weight bass spinning reel rod setup that i would not imagine it looked like more or less like a toy in a way of like how light it was and he was he was fighting dorado but it would take him like 20 minutes to reel him in was that by a choice that was by choice okay yeah he he did that very much on purpose no one played a prank yeah (laughs) here man use this so there's like after a while like we we did start like playing with it like because we were catching you have fish fish in the boat so now it's like okay exactly it's like how can we have fun with this and i think at the end of this year, which we may not ever get a year like this again, I can look back and be like, not not only did I put fish in the freezer, which is great and obviously like a big part of it, but like I'm also going to say like I did catch a Dorado on the fly, which is just like more memorable. You know, it's I was for all, you know, tense and purposes like i was in the right place at the right time you know and there's nothing i could have done to plan that ahead of time it just was the way that it was um but at the same time like how special is it to be like i have a photo with a fly in a dorado's mouth that i tied you know, in a way, like specifically for this scenario, like that, it wasn't anybody else's fly. Like it wasn't, I didn't go with a guide to show me how to do it. Like I went obviously the week before with somebody, but he wasn't like, he let me do my thing, which was cool. But he did give those like little hints of like trying different methods and doing little things differently. But he didn't tell me what fly patterns to use or anything like that. And so having that kind of as the end was like really fun to me of being more or less like I taught myself how to fish for pelagic fish. If that that makes sense. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And I think you, you know, like I said, it's like the conclusion of many years of like working to that end and I don't think you need to like justify it or apologize for it or, you know, it's just like you, you get to have that memory and you get to have that milestone and know that it was like, 
opportunity was there and you know opportunity preparedness was ready when the opportunity yeah. struck and yeah. you're able to combine preparedness and opportunity and like land that fish mm-hmm. and yeah the one thing that i that i've kind of thought about since then is there were like a couple big people that like caught caught dorado on flies like there's this one guy from pasadena uh lino he works at the orvis shop i think i think he works there or at least he volunteers a lot of time up there and he caught a dorado on the fly that i saw a couple people down in san diego caught them on the fly but i i literally don't know like if they caught them trolling or they caught them like stripping yeah because i'm still curious to be like on that day we had, I mean, there is so, the big, the big thing with Dorado, right, is they are one of the fastest growing fish in the ocean. And so when they find food, like all they want to do is eat. And the reason why these kelp patties were so loaded is like, because of the bluefin, because of all these Dorado, like everything else going on, they would find bait and then just like keep circling it and find those like places where they are able to eat. But then when we would show up and we'd actually have bait in the water, it's like, they're just hungry. Like that's what they want at, at that time. But because there are so many Dorado, there are certain times that they are literally like open water feeding, like almost creating like their own foamer, which from what I understand and maybe I'll be corrected is that's a really rare thing. Like Dorado don't like slam the water like a tuna does after bait, but they were doing that. So I could imagine if you had that scenario, you could cast in a fly into that and strip it through and it would probably be eaten. But I don't know, like literally like this was the best fishing I could have ever imagined and it was still hard to strip it. So I think like letting go of that basic idea of like, in order to catch a fish on a fly, you have to strip it. Like, I feel like that's like a, uh, that would be a problem with a lot of people fly fishing. Like, let's say in, um, if you go tarpon fishing, like everybody has seen those drone shots of like some guy on the bow of the boat casting into the fish and you hook one. But like, they're not triggered the same way that a dorado is and so that basic idea of like stripping a fish in and having that initial like oh we hooked one idea like had to be broken for me and i had to use some of my conventional fishing knowledge to then switch it over into fly fishing and i think that that's an important thing and i don't want to be like apologetic or like oh it didn't count because it's almost the opposite. Like in order to fish well in Southern California on a fly, like maybe you have to break the rules. Well, and that's what we talked about in the onset of this conversation was to be an outdoors person here, you kind of have to be unconventional and look for these like unexpected opportunities Mm -hmm. because it's not the, the like expected landscape for many of these activities that we yeah love to do so you have to be willing to kind of color outside the lines or like look for those like unexpected opportunities to be successful yeah yeah totally and 
Um, is there a part of you that's curious to like, like you, the guy you're talking about in Pasadena, like, are you curious to like message him and ask him like, Hey I, man, so did you like this, that, and the other, or did you like, or do you not even should, care? Yeah, I actually should. I, Lino is like such a good guy and like he helps everybody. Like if you have a question about fishing down in Southern California, like he's the guy to ask. He catches leopard sharks and corbina and carp and like a lot of fish that are your 20 minute drive from where you live type of thing and so he's really dialed in like how to fish this well and obviously uh von podmore from salty hb or salty fly hb he's another great guy that's been doing this saltwater thing for years now and yet like at the same time like i didn't talk to them beforehand like i was just flying in blind so it's like one of those things like i wonder if it would have been different if i would have talked to them well it's almost more interesting now to be like hey my experience was this it was very difficult to strip line fast enough yeah to like trigger that bite from yeah. the dorado and i mean your thoughts yeah and I, they're <laughs> like oh this guy this is like a very intelligent question like yeah <laughs> you'd probably get a very intelligent answer in response which maybe if i could have sat at the front of the boat and like sight fished for them like a little bit better and not had all like the big problem with christian's boat too is like it's a sport fishing boat with rod holders everywhere like i had to like lean out the side of the boat and like sideways cast like it's hard to to get the right amount of line out and not hook it on like a rod or a reel or like something on the ground or like the little hook that's like sitting there or whatever it is like it's just not that type of boat to be like fly fishing friendly because yeah. obviously it's built for a different purpose. he doesn't fly fish. yeah exactly and a lot of those guys like who only fly fish like their boat like doesn't have anything that can like catch fly line on like you can just like whip out your line and get it out there like super fast. Um, maybe if I could have like been at the front and like sh- sight fish that way, like maybe I could have like triggered a fish a little bit more. But yeah, I also wonder like if those guys like did catch them trolling and then you as the viewer see them holding a Dorado with a fly rod and reel and like you as the viewer just automatically think like, Oh, they must've stripped that in and got it caught. Like, I think there's a weird stigma of fly fishing in Southern California that like it's competitive and it's, it's like secretive too. And not to say like some of these people aren't secretive, but there is like also a little bit of a, competitiveness that i've felt trying to like wiggle my way in yeah it's like it's that way with every little like niche subculture of hunting and fishing where you know there's it's a limited resource so Mm -hmm. there's always going to be or it's a limited resource and there's like this i paid my dues so you got to pay your dues too kind of mentality where it as we've discussed many times like it takes years to get even proficient at this stuff yeah much less like good yeah um so next summer if someone calls and they're like 
Dude, the Dorado are back. Uh huh. What do you What are you gonna do? I think I think obviously it would be. I brought. I went fishing last weekend, and I still brought my fly rod because, like, if we see like a bit, not that they're big fish, but like a foamer of bonito, yeah, which can be like stirring up the water just like tuna. Like, oh, I would love to catch bonito on a fly rod and i want to catch them on like little poppers and like things like that like that would be so fun i think in that way given the opportunity i am not gonna waste my time fishing like if i haven't gotten fish on the boat i'm still probably gonna fish the easiest way for the most production you know for producing fish on the boat that's what i'm gonna start with yep but if it's even like a lights out calico day and you've caught like, let's say 25 calico in the last hour, like go try something else. Like have fun exploring those different options because it is a different type of fishing and like what you learn conventional can transfer over to fly fishing and what you know fly fishing can also trans like transfer over into the conventional stuff. And I, I think that honestly, like is a big part of where I'm growing as an angler is it's like, for me, (laughs) I know that this sounds so trivial, but at the same time, like I pride myself on tying good knots and I, and not to say that hopefully I don't have any big, big problems with my knots, but I feel like my knot tying is like caught on very well for the saltwater fishing, whether it's conventional or fly fly fishing, but it's from that fly fishing background of like, I know these types of knots with this type of line and I know how to tie like clean, strong knots because if you're tying, you know, on six X tippet, you better make sure that that is tied right. Otherwise, if you catch that dream rainbow trout and you're on six X tippet, you're going to be, I wish I tied a better knot. Like that's the last thing you want to say. So I think that some of those things transfer over and then help you out in more situations. Cause now if I think about like instinctual bites, like, and you go streamer fishing for trout, you're going to also think of it a lot differently than if you're just fishing for trout all the time you know and i like breaking down those barriers you know like i like i think a big part of being in southern california is we actually get an opportunity to break out of the mold of like this is what it means to be an outdoorsman versus like feeling like it's cursed you know and being like it's so far away and like why can't i do this like we actually get a huge opportunity to catch fish that nobody else gets to fish for or we get to think outside the box and like if you go turkey hunting in southern california it's going to be a whole lot harder than it would be if you're in like prime turkey country but if you went from southern california turkey hunting into that prime area you might actually be better than a lot of people because of how hard 
it is down here. It you would know? feel like Dorado fishing this summer. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my gosh, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this kind of closes a story loop for you a little bit in terms of like the fulfillment of this like goal you've had. Yep. Do you have uh, the next big goal that you want to be working towards as an competent outdoor generalist? Um. So right now, my my, I wouldn't say it's my last goal, but it's a big goal still that's kind of looming over me is to catch a yellowtail on like a surface iron in my like fly fishing world. I feel like catching trout on a dry fly is very sought after and there's like an art to it and there's like a whole history of it and all this stuff. Now being in Southern California, catching yellowtail on a surface iron is kind of that it's got its whole history. It's got people who've done it for years and years and years. It's got all these different opinions of like which brand and this guy swims like that. And there's so much to it. And so I think like becoming somewhat proficient at using a surface iron would be really cool. Um, but in general, like just understanding Southern California for what it is and whether that's duck hunting or it's deer hunting or it's understanding the ocean like there is a whole island obviously it's still far away but there's a whole island that's like unexplored to me it's like you could go to Catalina every day or every weekend and still like not cover enough you know it's like yeah because one day you could be fishing there and the Benino are there and then one day like a bunch of calico are there and then then there's nothing and then the next time you go back a bunch of yellowtail are there and you're like I don't understand like so under understanding Catalina I think is also like a big goal of mine you know and thankfully I get some resource to go check it out and whether that's spearfishing or I think spearfishing helps a lot understanding like what's there and what's going on, but making Southern California over time has become, or making Southern California home is like a big goal of mine. And it, and it's not to say like maybe someday I'll move, but it's like for now, like this is where I live. So for now, like I might as well make it home and do this to the best of my ability there's there's a lot of fun and joy in that versus like always wishing I was somewhere else you know I'll still like I still love going to Mammoth and going fly fishing or going up to Sacramento and going fly fishing but I've had to realize like maybe I can only do that a couple times a year and even though I love fly fishing I would rather put my energy closer to home than always wishing I was somewhere else. Cause the second you move, then you'll be like, I don't have the ocean anymore. Right. <laughs> like, what am I going to do now? Like all I want to do is be back at the ocean. <laughs> right. I, I feel very personally targeted by yeah. your words, but no, that was, that was me thinking. But... Yeah. So that, that I think is my, my goal is just to be a, southern california 
kind of not expert because I know I'm far, far away from that, but like making my way towards that general goal of like, yeah, I, I kind of know how to do that. You know, I know how to like target this animal or target that fish species or, you know, something like that and help people along the way when they're like, I want to try that. Yeah. It's like, okay. Dude, I, I agree with you. Being, being reasonably competent at a wide variety of things to me is way more compelling than being super specialized and really good at mm-hmm. just one pursuit or yeah. and one technique of one pursuit of one species. Like people can get so like tunnel vision, but well, I think that's why like the fly fishing thing, like actually kind of fell down a couple notches of like, it was this huge goal, but then I was like, I want to just be able to fish well. And, and it's not to like just put fish on the boat, but it's this basic understanding of like using your tool set for the best possible outcome is like fly fishing is, is just one tool in my toolbox. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get really hung up on being like, Oh, I only use a surface iron. And I'm like, if you only use a surface iron, you're not going to catch the fish most of the time when they're around. But then sometimes it's the only thing that did work that day, you know? And so being flexible in that sense of like, I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned over the last two years is not putting myself in that box of saying like, I am this person. Like I only fish like that, or I only, will do this one way and realizing that most of the time that leads to failure. (laughs) Everybody else is looking at you like, well, you could have just listened to us. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's way better to, like you said, to have multiple tools in your toolbox and be adaptable because the variables out there in the natural world are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. We as pursuers of those things can't be rigid. We have to be, flexible and adaptable and have the equipment and skills in our both literal and proverbial toolbox to like adapt to the conditions that are at hand and make the most of whatever the day is. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations on your drought, dude. Thank you. I'm very proud of you as a friend, as a friend of yours of many years who has like (laughs) watched this play out from afar. uh, I was very, very excited for you. Yeah. I'm course, excited. I brought too. you the uh, Windward Westward Dorado flag. Thank you. Thank you. To, uh, <laughs> to mark this milestone event. So you'll... it's going to hang up and uh, fly proudly. So I'm I'm stoked for it. I like this sounds weird, but like because last year the Dorado weren't around, like not that I didn't think that they are cool animals, but it just seemed like out of touch a little bit, you know? And so when we had those flags printed, it's like, you kind of want like the yellowtail flag or you want like the tuna flag in Dorado. Like I said, we're just kind of off the radar. And then this year we kind of got inundated with them and you saw like so many that you're like, I know in 20 years from now, we'll probably still be talking about this year, you know, whether they come back the same next year or not, it was still like the first the year, first year that, that people's jaws were just dropped at how many there were in our ocean. So 
um I'm going to be really happy to keep looking at that. <laughs> 2022, the summer of the Dorado. Yep. Yep. So speaking of that, I've got some Dorado and some tuna for you. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Yeah.